Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This episode, my guest is Tim Maxwell. Tim sings and plays guitar in Loser, who are a very good band. He is very good at singing and playing guitar. Um, This episode, we talk about Cowboys from Hell by Pantera. Fucking great. Finally, someone wanted to do a Pantera record with me. Very excited by it. Glad that Tim chose this. Um, yeah, Tim and I had a good chat about the record. He played some friggin' guitar on the podcast, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, just had a real big chin wag about Dimebag and everything that we like about Pantera. Um, Loser have a new record coming out on the 10th of September through Domestic Lala Records called All the Rage. You can pre-order it and check it out on the internet. Loser also doing a sick thing. Uh, on their social media accounts called Solo Sundays. So go to their Instagram and stuff and check it out. Listen to the new Mental Cavity record. That's my band, LOL. Also listen to Cowboys from Hell by Pantera, one of the best metal records of all time. Otherwise, please enjoy episode 115 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Tim from Loser. Fucking brutal. Tim, thanks for doing the podcast with me. No worries. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Pleasure. All right. So this is a one I've been very excited about since we were messaging earlier in the week. The first, you are the first person, and I cannot believe it's taken this long, the first person <laughs> to approach talking about a Pantera record with me, which is fucking amazing. Yeah, what is it? People are scared to like them these days or something? Is it all the racist stuff that's drawn to Phil as well? Fuck, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably all of the above, but fuck it. We're talking about it, you know? Exactly. Uh, they still got, you know, they got the riffs. You got to talk about it. Yeah. So you chose Cowboys from Hell. Why did you pick this record? I think it just changed uh, guitar playing for me as I was growing up. Like... It had that technicality and groove that I loved about metal, mm-hmm. I guess, because like I was a huge like Metallica fan, and I'm pretty sh- like pretty sure the first album I heard was Cowboys from Hell, and you know there might have been an MP3 player with Walk on it or something like that, but yeah. it was probably you know when when I actually appreciated the album as a whole, it was completely different, and I I pretty much like. I bought like this ugly as LTD EX50 and I put a dime barker in it and it had like an RIP dime sticker on it. And, it, and I was just like, man, obsessed. I'd, I'd even like, I don't even know, this might get me canceled. It's just like wearing like, we had like the Confederate flag belt oh, yeah. buckles and doing weights and doing scales and stuff. It's just like, <laughs> I was obsessed with that. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think as well, like being white people from Australia and white children from australia you don't really understand what that (laughs) stuff means i definitely had hell no i definitely had a bunch of like the like southern rock like branded type stuff that had confederate flags on it as well exactly just yeah in hindsight now i wouldn't have them but you know back then i didn't know any better nah I know a person who's got, like, in the name of what we stand for with, like, the um, Confederate flag. And this person just loved Pantera. I don't think they understood what it meant, but yeah. it's tattooed on them. <laughs> oh, boy. Time to get some other big red and blue things covering that thing up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Awful. Um, 
I think I think I had the same thing with this record. I think probably I would have heard Walk, I assume, at some point. But I think I think this is like well, at least the song Cowboys from Hell is like I feel like a, a lot of what people's introduction to Pantera is because it's like, you know, it's it's the name of the song is obviously the album title as well. But that was like the band's ethos was that name, you know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't like really realize, but look, it was pretty much like the first Pantera album in my eyes. Cause the rest was just like some weird power metal sort of yeah glam rock outfit that sort of, you could see a lot of potential in, but obviously this, like, this is like the first heavy album you could say. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I think that's, that's something that obviously, I mean, most people who listen to this band are obviously aware, but for those who haven't this is their fifth record technically which is pretty wild but what i what i would say about that that has always been really encouraging for me as a musician is that you can record four shit full-length albums before you find yourself is is what is what pantera (laughs) has proven yeah exactly um it's crazy how they it's it's nuts how that's their like what yeah fifth album I can't believe it. Yeah. But like th- this record, obviously there's a lot of talk about in this band. I mean, for the fact that like, well, th- this is the second record with Phil, but the first record with Phil where he's clearly doing what he maybe he envisaged doing in this band. Cause the first record with him is pretty still, I mean, it's still like a glam rock record. Essentially. It's got some like thrashy. Parts, yeah, but- totally. He got like all that, like, all the guttural screaming sort of stuff and all that attitude in his vocal. Like it sounded like pissed off rather than trying to be like a glam metal, you know, band. But the the best thing is he pairs that with it and the dynamic of those two together is just flawless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the other things that like, it's like a, one of those like useless metal facts that has just been in my head since I was in school is that Dimebag was offered the lead guitar job in Megadeth and yeah, right. Only his, he was like, yeah, I'll be in Megadeth, but only if my brother can be in the band as well. And they're like, now we've already got a drummer. And he was like, well, okay, then I'm not going to be in Megadeth. And <laughs> that, that was like, from what I understand, at least that was like the push to get Phil into Pantera because he, they sort of decided like, this is the route we're going to go. We'll get this guy to sing. And then like, you know, four years later, they're the biggest metal band in the world. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, yeah, like there were like, um, what, there was like about 28 major labels that didn't accept this album yeah. until they finally got one. It's- Which is, I mean, I think the, <laughs> the, the thing that's crazy too is like the first, the first, um, the first European tour that Pantera ever did was in support of this record. And it was opening for Judas Priest on the Painkiller tour. Like that was the wow. That was the tour that they like launched themselves. And then like the next time they go back to Europe, they're like headlining the Vulgar Display of Power tour. Like it's just like the band went from yeah here to like in one record basically. Yeah. But so where was Monsters of Rock then? That must have been in between it. Yeah, I, I guess that that that's like a you know obviously I. I assume that's the biggest thing they ever played. And it was in 91 or nine. It's, it's on the tour for this. Yeah. Record. Yeah. What was it? Metallica, ACDC, Pantera, and yeah. Guns N' Roses or something like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 
it, the footage from that, I mean, so when you when you and I were messaging about doing this, I then proceeded to get really drunk that night because that's what we do now when <laughs> we, we're in lockdown. And cheers. I, 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 yeah, cheers. I watched the entire um, first like home video and then watched... Oh, the- vulgar videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I watched the whole Monsters of Rock thing and then I was like... I'm doing a podcast and I actually haven't even listened to the record. I've just watched the two like tour videos from the record. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good though. Yeah. The shit's embedded in you anyway, you know, like I, you think like you put the album on, you're just like, oh, shattered. Yeah. That doesn't look uh, familiar or sound familiar to me. You put it on and it's like, oh, I know how to play this riff. You know yeah. I mean? like, so it was one of those, it was one of those things where it's just like it made you want to learn the riffs and i think like a lot of metal bands like uh i used to like love trivium like mm-hmm. absolutely love them but now i cannot stand them because it's just like i could see that it helped like me get the technicality and dexterity up but now when you listen to like the vocal side of things i'm like oh that's pretty lame but like pantera is that band that sort of has like all of that and it's still you know it stays strong yeah yeah well so at the time when you started getting into this were you already playing guitar yeah. Yeah. That was like a big thing for me too. Like, I think that's why I sort of dove so heavily into them. Like you said, like, I I loved the groove element of it. Obviously, as a younger person, mm-hmm. you're trying to find something to latch on to. And like, I talked about this before with other people that like, when you're much younger, it's obviously very hard to get into music with like uh, really abrasive vocals or whatever. But this kind of rode yeah. the line where like, there was still, like, I mean, it was guttural and abrasive at times but he's still fucking hitting real melodic you know high notes and doing melodic things and stuff like that but for me like the obsession with this band and you know from i'm sure most people like the obsession comes from the guitar playing like the obsession is the Mm. riffs and the solos basically yeah and they sound paper thin like they're direct in or something with like an awful fuzz pedal (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> well, that 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 was the other first comment you made. We can discuss the like worst guitar tone of all time. <laughs> um, I love it. I I love it, but like you know, people love to hate it. it. I think it's controversial. But I was always that kid who's like, "Miz, yeah, fuck that. Hmm. Dial them down, bloody treble, right up." <laughs> well, I think I think the other thing too is he the tone is like. I guess his way of approaching what he's doing, like it's it's probably one of the most like true representations of like you can be like an amazing you can be an amazing guitar player and have the shittest gear ever and somehow make it sound good. Adversely, you can also yeah. have you know a five thousand dollar guitar and a ten thousand dollar amp and sound like garbage. Like it's very simple. Yeah. To to go between one or the other. Um, totally. But- he, I think the other thing too that's like so funny about his his setup is that it's super basic, really, and mm. it it then went on to like he was you know on these records he's playing a fucking solid state Randall amp that then <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. it goes on to influence like years and years of metal bands after that point are like oh fuck stop buying the expensive stuff let's just buy these really cheap amps and use that instead yeah. For sure. Well, that's probably all they could afford at the same time. Yeah. Like, when was like, what did were Pantera like? Did they discover Dime through? Because I'm, I've got this story going in my head of when they saw him play, 
like maybe he was playing eruption at like a talent show or something do you recall yeah, that i think that i think like the story of him becoming like because kind of he was like a famous local guitar player before the band that's became right big. yeah that's a and he would like yeah i think his I think his thing is like he had an endorsement with Dean Guitars before he was even in a band. Like they, wow. he play. I think the story is like he played a like a shopping center guitar competition or something, and yeah, yeah, he, he won, and the prize was a Dean guitar, and like the famous one that he plays, and the the rep from Dean or whoever that was there to award the prize was like, so impressed that they gave him an endorsement deal. Like, and he was just like, a, <laughs> that's a amazing. Kid. That's badass. <laughs> like, yeah. Di- what they was called like diamond Daryl Abbott back then. Yeah. And I think, I feel like maybe in the, I have the first version of vulgar display of power on CD and I think in that he's still even Diamond Daryl because I think it was like a, I think it was like a brand name that he'd made for himself, like as being when he started smoking enough weed, he became Dimebag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took a, <laughs> he had to get over like the glam thing a little bit first. Um, I think the so like about like songs on this record, I think that like, well, a, a, one thing that always struck me about this record as well musically is that the drums and guitars in this band always are like so perfect for one another. Like the drum, yeah. the drumming is always the drums sound like cannons. Yeah. And it's always like perfect for the guitars, but like the fact that they started, you know, let's ignore the early ones. They started with this record and from here, the next five records that they do, the, the, regardless of whether you like the songs on the later records or not, I still think the, the like key defining thing about this band other than the guitar playing is like how perfect those two are with one another. And like, yeah, I mean, you, you're in a band with your it's brother. That brotherhood like, chemistry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Do but you, that can work, uh, you know, two which ways you could be like the Gallagher brothers or you could be like Vinnie Paul and dime. Yeah. Has that, do you, do you feel like that is like, is that something that's worked advantageously for you? Or has that been like, nah, nah, it's, it's been, it's, it's been hell, man. We've literally been fighting over what guitar amp, like, um, this is a funny story, but like back in the day, uh, my dad, like, cause he, he started playing guitar like pretty early, but he was never that good at it. So like he had a bunch of gear and he'd like buy us some gear. So we had this like Hughes and Kettner switchblade, this like, yeah. you know, huge, like three grand amp. It was like awesome. And then we'd have a PV, but because like, you'd have to pair that with the metal zone. So like, if I was like being naughty or whatever, it's just like, nah, we'll get the Hughes and Kettner, you get the PV in the metal zone. I'm like, oh fuck. Like, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, we've literally been fighting with each other over who solos first and who does that. We still do it. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, hopefully one day you guys will find your Pantera pairing. But until then, I'm glad yeah. it's still funny stories. Like, yeah, for now it's Gallagher. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, like, a- another thing about this this record well the the band moreover than the record for me is i still don't think like to this day a band has interested me as much 
because of the guitar player. Like I have been like so mm. invested in the band because I just love the guitar playing on it so much. And like, I think it's probably like, there's a lot of bands I can do this for and I'm sure you're in the same boat, but like I can for sure, like 100%, I reckon I could hum or sing along to every guitar solo on every Pantera song. Mm. Like, yeah. And that's the that's the good thing that they like incorporate that Sabbath groove, which yeah. makes it a bit more melodic and bluesy. I guess that's what drew uh, me to it as well. It being so bluesy because my dad, um, you know, showed me blues and grew up on all that. So that was like pairing that. It's like oh, it's like heavy blues, but with like shred. Like yeah, it's insane. Well, and I think well, I th- I unlike think- anything I'd heard at the time, anyway. Yeah, and I think that's like a distinct standout point for what's happening on the guitars in these songs as well is that they're like um like the the soloing isn't like he didn't approach it like a shred guitar player which is what at the time was what like most people were going for like most people were going down the track of like um play as fast as you can do as many like you know Mm. technical things as you can whereas like i mean like like on this record like um psycho holiday that song is like <laughs> like that song's a song <laughs> yeah and like that song's kind of like the riffs and stuff in that song is still you c- at least to me you can still hear that they're kind of getting over glam a little bit still like some of the guitar playing is still pretty rocky i suppose but like mm. the guitar solo in that song is long as fuck for a pantera song and also yeah it's like a it's almost like a kiss solo. Like it's like a real yeah. and like there's a part where the bass is in the guitar solo, the bass is just like but like and it's like that's just a rock band now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I love about it. Like um, you know, it's like other than times where there may be some overdubs for a solo or whatever. Uh, it's pretty much just one guitar holding that all together. And that's what I love about it. That the riffs are interesting enough and you don't get like, it's all original as fuck to me. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's something as well. That's like, this is a band that's very, I think of the time it's very odd for this uh, kind of music. And certainly in the later records, it's weird that, um, you know, in all the solo sections, the riff doesn't keep playing behind it. Like they, they recorded, yeah quite a lot of them as they would be played live like yeah totally which is like i and mean so dry yeah, as oh, well yeah. which means like you can't make any mistake like yeah well and that's like i think you know having been in you know having been in bands where i was the only person playing guitar i have never done that like i've always had a rhythm track or a, or a backing, backing track around. or something you yeah. know like like the the level of confidence, which obviously comes from being a child prodigy guitar player who has an endorsement before you're in a band, but like, you know, like that, I've never gotten to that that point, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's crazy. Just even like looking at the track list, it's like Cemetery Gates is probably one of the craziest like power ballads of the '80s, and it's pantera like yeah (laughs) and it still like holds up and it doesn't sound corny or aged to me at all and like because we were talking about how like dry everything is like yeah let's talk about how layered that song is and like you're like whoa (laughs) 
Yeah, well, and and that song too is like in the in the context of the record, like the record's kind of as a whole. This album's kind of weird in that the way that it's it's like track list flows in that this they obviously realized when they were laying out the record that this song was like so good that it had to be up the front. But it's it's funny because yeah. like towards the end of the record, there's another the sleep is another song. Yeah, that, the sleep. Yeah, you know that falls in the same sort of realm. But this uh, bit cemetery gates is just like it's. I mean, it's an insane song and and wildly, they reissued this song like I think 15 years later they re or 10 years later or something they reissue the song again for I can't remember what it's for. It's for like the a TV the Terry show. Date mix? Yeah. No, yeah, okay. There was like a remix yeah, they right. did of it for a TV show. I think it's oh the Crypt Keeper, that's the show. That um Okay. And it was I think it's around when Far Beyond Driven or something comes out. They do an, another music video for it, but it's just the exact same song again. And it's like the, <laughs> yeah, the fact yeah. that this this song had such a life for them that they could reissue it while they were still doing stuff you know <laughs> like it's crazy yeah no nah, i love that but i you know i get off on that i'm an audiophile so i'll be like yeah because when they release those like um the terry date mixes well because terry date produced and mixed this and that's they were going to do it with someone else beforehand but um they ended up working with him and apparently they liked like the overkill sound because mm. he produced and mixed them or whatever and then, like, uh, I think it's, like, Far Beyond Driven. He, like, re- it, there's a Terry Date mix of that, and that's insane. Like, it's just so much yeah. heavier. And, I mean, like, I don't know. It just It's just cool to hear it, not just all treble. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and like, I think th- this is a band that's really um, has been served well by, like, the remasters and reissues and things coming out every time a new version of it comes out i get so revved up about hearing it you know yeah yeah it's just iconic like from that first flanged riff (laughs) um so like i guess when um for you was was playing was playing metal in school a big thing for you yeah you know how like everyone else would hang out with the jocks and pick up chicks i'd just literally just be practicing in the music room hiding in there if there was an exam i'd be hiding in there and i'd have to wait and do my exam after school i'd just be (laughs) practicing metal and then my brother was like you know starting to see girls and stuff and i was just like you're going out i'm like where where i just couldn't understand it like then all this shit was so foreign to me because all i fucking cared about was sitting in front of the computer and learning all these metal songs by ear that's all I did. Like my dad uh, was so supportive of it as well. Like he loved metal with me. So he'd, uh, he had this guy at work who'd like give me all these old Metallica, like tab books and Pantera ones and stuff and creator. Like, yeah, I, there was this, there was this period where I was just so obsessed with metal that like my parents were like, okay, so you can get a Gibson Les Paul or you, if you want the ESP, uh, like Eclipse Snow White <laughs> with like AMGs. What do you think I fucking chose? Yeah. Got to go that Eclipse, the baby. The bloody... That ESP, and now that's gone, <laughs> and I wish I had a fucking Gibson Les Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. So you go through the phases, but, you know, something like this, just, you know, I, I love it. I can't get over how good that band is. Yeah. And, I mean, I think the other thing, too, is, like, 
I, I think you've got to go through that phase in your life for sure. And I mean, for me, I feel that's pretty rich saying that because I feel like I'm still, I'm like in my mid thirties now and I'm still kind of going through that phase. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's, um, you know, it's something you got to go through as a musician. You got to explore that part of you, you know? I think it, uh, it makes you an entirely different musician because you like, obviously when you're listening to a metal band, you're just like, Oh, what are their influences? And then all of a sudden you got Paul Gilbert up there and then you're learning mm. all these crazy scales and you adapt all of that to what you you later learn and it's just it all helps and it's all like the speed and dexterity of like soloing and all that like i wish i still just played metal all the time like practiced it mm. but because uh, you you lose your chops <laughs> yeah yeah do you think do you think that um that stuff still seeps into the music that you write hell yeah yeah like the thing i liked about like watching your, uh, listening to your podcast and watching the show and stuff is just like, you appreciate the riff and yeah. no matter what style I do, it's always going to be about like the guitar, you know, nobody's like really in our scene, like doing like guitar solos, dual guitar solos and mm. all that stuff. And we like, we like to sneak them in there, you know, when it's necessary, it's not a show off thing, but you sort of just like flourish and keep on you know, bringing out more guitar-based music, really. Like, everything has always got to have some sort of technicality or the right simplicity for me, but it's, yeah, it's all to do with riffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the biggest thing that I think I've realized as, like, an adult uh, thinking about, like, the stuff that I like. And it's, you know, you know, when you're, like, I feel like when you're younger, you go through some phases where, like, initially you want everything to be, like, hyper-technical and then... You, at least this is my experience. Like I wanted everything to be like hyper-technical and specific or whatever. And then I got a, got to a point yeah. where I kind of got over that and I was like, everything needs to be like simple and groove-based and going back to like, you know, Sabbath mentality, like make it simple, make it the hook, whatever. And then, yeah. and then I think you find as you, or at least as I have, like you find a middle ground later on in life where you're like, oh, well, there's, they can complement one another. You can do one or the other. You can, and I can now like, even in hyper-technical stuff, I can see and hear the groove and that's what gets me. And I can find the hook that's within it, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, that's that's what I love about that style of music. Like when they incorporate the melody and the groove perfectly, but it's not like cheesy. Yeah. That's, what, that's why I really like Metallica mm. and Megadeth and that sort of stuff. Like it's almost like we were talking about Phil's singing. It's just like, it's past the point of being a bit too glammy mm. and it's a bit more rough. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think as well with like, particularly on this record, you know, there's, there's songs that obviously like Cemetery Gates as an example, like it, it suits that song obviously to have him sing the way he sings on it. And I mean like the, the closing of the song is essentially him, well. him wailing with a, dive bomb like that's the closing of yeah, the song. yeah that's iconic yeah yeah that's iconic it's so good uh that that was yeah i've still am trying to learn cemetery gate solo every now and then yeah. <laughs> i'll always go back to it <laughs> so one of my like favorite memories from playing guitar in school was um i think it was in year eight i did a we like in the music class we we're in sort of and I'm sure this is like most music class in high school, but you, you, 
your goal is to work to towards a performance at the end of the term or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the performance that I did was it was me and a friend playing Cemetery Gates, both on like Yamaha C40 yeah. acoustic guitars. <laughs> Obviously perfect tone. Um, and a friend of ours was playing drums on a keyboard. So it was like, it was like, I, I was the rhythm guitar player cause I'm not dime bag. And then my friend who definitely <laughs> was also not dime bag, but just better than me at guitar was like, trying yeah. to play the solo on an acoustic nylon string guitar. Yeah, that w- <laughs> and like I'd pay to see that now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can just I just I think about that now and just think like imagine the 25 other kids in our class who were sitting there like what are these fucking losers doing up there? This kid on the keyboard <laughs> yeah. playing drums like just hopeless. You got through did you get through the whole song? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think we played the, I think like a six and a half minute metal song for a performance. And I think by the end, our teacher, wow, our teacher was very like generous and giving about like, that was great. You did this well, you did this well. Give them a round of applause, guys. And like, the, <laughs> this is a, a, a side note of my personal story, but our music teacher in high school, his day job was he was a, he was the music teacher at the high school I went to. And of evenings, he was the musical director for play school. So, like, <laughs> he had, like, an actual music industry career outside, but he was just a high school teacher during the day. And all I can think is, like, man, that guy, he watched us two butcher a Pantera song on acoustic guitars and then later that day <laughs> went and played piano on play school at night. Like, it's wild. <laughs> like, That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Apparently, all the people in play school are cokeheads. I don't know where I heard that, but... That wouldn't surprise me based on his reaction to (laughs) me playing Pantera on acoustic guitar. He was pretty positive. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a very cokehead response. Yeah, true. So, a couple of the other things on this record that really stand out to me are, like, how, how there are, as well, like, specific songs where the band gets, like, really thrashy. Like, those songs where they're, like they just decide to be way more thrashy than on the other songs, you know? This is great. (laughs) I think that's the first live performance of a song on this podcast. Hell yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that. Yeah, man. That, um... Yeah, those that harmonic riff was just like holy shit. That that song's so good. Yeah, and th- I think that was one of those things where like, th- ha- that's that's one of those like thrash riffs that I really love. Like the when the riff kicks in and the the toms kick in and then it goes, you know, beat. It's that like the classic thrash trope of hooking your ear into the like the circle of the picking and yeah for the uninitiated. You can you can hear the picking in a different way than what it comes into, like, yeah, like I yeah, it's, it's I just love when that comes in and it's like, like that that just gets it gets me so <laughs> revved up for for like music like this basically. 
Yeah, totally. And like all I can picture in my head is the vulgar videos, like yeah. when they go between the the live footage and then they're doing heresy. It's just like wow, burning that like huge weed leaf and stuff. Man, <laughs> I watched that way too young. Hey, I did yeah. not understand anything in it. And when I go back to it, I was like, oh, that's what Zachleys are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like there um those videos. Well, like, uh, I, th- I feel like they've even talked about this too. Like, I feel like Jackass may have said in something that like one of the precursors for making the Jackass videos came from the Pantera home videos. <laughs> like that. I, I believe that. Yeah. It just was so chaotic. And I feel like, I don't know why, but like, I know you could view the same thing on YouTube, but like getting that mm. DVD and putting it on, there's nothing like it. <laughs> So I, I recently moved house and for some reason I am still moving DVDs house to house that I definitely have not watched in like at least a decade at this point. Like because <laughs> yeah. of the internet, I have not watched a DVD in a long time. But when we moved house, we moved all the DVDs over obviously. And when we were putting them away, I've got three copies of the Pantera Home videos on DVD. Wow. So like huge don't know why i had a look one is an international one which i assume means that's the first one i got i assume i yeah like probably had to order it from a music store and it came and it didn't work on my dvd player or something you know and yeah, then i bought yeah. another one yeah, yeah i did this <laughs> i did the same thing with a ramstein volker bowl dvd i spent <laughs> like 80 dollars, and i'm like why the hell have i got this like i cannot appreciate that band anymore yeah i just don't get it <laughs> there's um that's always been like i feel like that's been a a real um realization for me particularly in the in later years like you know playing in bands and trying to sell records and stuff like there was yeah. a ti- there was a time when cds cost like 45 dollars and you would have yep. to you would have to import them from some other country to hear a relatively popular cd and then now I mean, CDs as a whole, like selling a CD now is a, such a bizarre thing to do. But you can, I mean, you can, yeah. you can barely charge 20 bucks for a CD now, you know? Nah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm into CDs. I started collecting them again. I just go to every op shop that I can find and literally just raid anything that I know of. It's yeah. not even like that I like. I'm literally just going to grab anything and play, you know, find some good shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's, I mean, that's an admittedly another thing. I have not abandoned the CDs yet. Like I still have all my CDs that I've been, again, like the DVDs, just moving from home to home. Um, yeah. And earlier this, this year, a friend of mine tried to help me sell some that I was like, oh, these ones I can part with. I don't really care about them. And let me tell you, people are keen to buy CDs for exorbitant yeah. amounts of money. So. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, I mean, like, I've got this Millen CD that I'm going to give to my friend, and I looked up how much it was, and it was like $130. Mm. Like, this CD's rare as. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> well, that, that was like when we put these ones online. It was like a dude bought a very hyper-specific 90s death metal record for like 60 bucks, and I was like, Man, this if I knew this thing was 60 bucks, it's been sitting in the garage for like 10 years. Yeah. Uh. 
So I think, I mean, some of the other notes that I made about the record too is like, I we mean, haven't I'm, even spoken about the elephant in the room, domination. Well, yeah, that's that. That was the note I was going to talk about. So, domination for me, I mean, it go. It certainly is like the. I reckon at the time, it's like the first conscious time I ever recognized what would later go on to inform me understanding like hardcore breakdowns. Is like it essentially has yeah. a breakdown in the song. <laughs> like, yeah, that uh, that. To me, almost apart from this one, oh no, Credence invented the two step. That's right. And then <laughs> <laughs> there's a part in a Credence song, I think it's like looking out my back door and it's full just a two step sort of riff. Love that. <laughs> so you gotta listen to it. Yeah, but like that, that was like the invention of a breakdown for me. I was mm. like, holy shit. That dun 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 dun. It's so simple. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like ACDC on steroids or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like I think the that um Monsters of Rock video of them playing this song is like probably one of the best live videos of all time. I would say, like, yeah. And what you don't like, what I didn't realize until later on is like they're just like hitting people in the crowd with the like. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fucked to watch now. It looks like some wartime shit, you know. Yeah, and it's. It's the Russian army. It wasn't like a security company. It was yeah. like their actual yeah. defense force was the security at that show. <laughs> That's so wild. That doesn't happen anymore. No. You're like, <laughs> but like the, I think the, the combo, I think the everlasting thing on that video is that it's in black and white, which is fucking awesome. And then that the just the clip of Dimebag playing the solo from this song. And the solo from this song is also insane because it's just like the riff behind yeah. it is still just the breakdown riff and the solo is just him just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just... It's so much shredding. And but the, and again, that I feel like that's the, the... You know, one of the key highlights of this band and this record is that like when he's doing that shredding stuff, they still have the groove happening. Like they haven't abandoned the groove, you mm. know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. Like how groovy it is. Like I've, uh, I've, other than Black Sabbath, I don't know another sort of groove metal band that I like. I mean, like Sepultura were a bit mm. groovy, but that wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think that. I like people that play six strings. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> mate. <laughs> I haven't even mastered. Wait, the no, six. that's Soulfly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Soul, that Soulfly, Soulfly or Sepultura? Soulfly. Yeah, that's Max Cavalera. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I think the thing for me with, um, I mean, the, the, another thing about this band too is like it, it, it takes a long time for this band to start playing in different tunings. Like for the most part, this band's pretty straightforward tuning wise. And then by the time yeah. they start mucking around with like detuning and doing that stuff, their way of doing it is not just like drop tune, make it really simple. They When they start playing in weird tunings, it's to like do weird stuff on guitar. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, sort of like work with his whammy stuff as well. Yeah. Which is, I think the other thing it, with, with with that sort of stuff too is like, that's another interesting way of navigating it. Like when you, when I, I suppose at the time, 
like metal when that stuff was changing metal was probably getting a lot more simple and getting heavier and whatever but like this band's response to that was like well we're not going to abandon the blues guitar solos we still need them in there (laughs) like we'll just figure out a different way to structure them you know yeah, exactly. You just put all those minor, like, metal, mm. melodic sound and stuff in there at the same time, and it just, damn. Mm. <laughs> and he's like, that, 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 that brings me to The Art of Shredding. I completely forgot about that song. Like, that's probably one of the best songs on the album. Yeah, and that, that's another song that's, like, for me, the singing on that is, like, unbelievable on that yeah. song, too. Like, it's- and another, like, singable riff. Yeah. It, it it um the one of the things as a kid that always like was ingrained in my brain was in that in the first video them playing this song and i think it's a gif image now but it's just him headbanging and his hair the way his hair is moving is like you could just have it on a loop his hair just looks like it's headbanging <laughs> in a circle it's so good <laughs> hell yeah yeah no i i like i i think for me, it, I think in the in the as a you know lifelong Pantera fan now, this probably isn't my favorite Pantera record, but I love every song on it, and I love the record so much. And I think mm. and I th- it definitely holds a special place to me because, um, because of that, like it's the pathway into the other ones, you know, like it's. Yeah. It sets the tone. Your favorite's power metal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need that glam singing. No. Yeah. It's vulgar? Uh, no, I think I think now, I, I think Far Beyond Driven's my favorite now. Yeah, true. What What is that going on again? Is that... Um, oh, well, I'm broken. Five Minutes Alone? I'm, yeah, and Five Minutes Alone. And like... Oh, no. I think like there's a lot of... It, it chops and changes. I would say, like, when I was way younger, it would have been this record. And then when I was, like, only listening to death metal, it would have been Great Southern Tranquil. And then I would have, like, chopped it. Then when I was playing in hardcore bands more, it would have been Vulgar Display Power. <laughs> like, I would have just, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of just, yeah, it keeps on going. Yeah. I love that. But, like, they're really, it's a, it, they're a great example of a band that can... I feel like can sort of transcend different genres of alternative music. Obviously most people like Pantera like heavy music. They're a metal band, but like they're, they're a, they're a band who I feel like you can find something within it that you, that you'll enjoy, you know? Totally. Yeah. They sort of like toe the line between, like they keep it interesting for me really. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you said, like, like sort of mixing all those sub genres together, but doing it in a way that's just pleasing is um, awesome. Really? Yeah. And like, do you, like with, um, you know, same, obviously before that stuff like this still influences the stuff that you do to an extent, like are records like this ones that you mm. still find yourself listening to? Uh, depends really. Depends on the mood. I, yeah, yeah I don't really, I, I spend most of my time listening to music, just trying to discover new albums from like 1am to 3am sure. <laughs> and then don't listen to any music and then work on mixing, re- recording, editing, mm. all that. So I'm always surrounded by music. So I don't really find myself unless I like, you know, got a friend that may have not had a metal phase or whatever. And then I put it on and then I remember how good the album was sort yeah. of thing, you know, it's not something I listen to. I mean, probably, yeah, I, 
I don't listen to it as often as I should, but it's cool to have an excuse to talk about it, which makes you listen to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I think when, like when you said to do it, like I, I know that I hadn't listened to Pantera in a while. I don't think when, yeah. cause I got like, when you were like Cowboys from Hell, I was like, yes, <laughs> like now I can go. Listen yeah. To well, I didn't, I didn't know that it was like, you know, it was all just like metal and stuff. Cause I saw like you were doing dude ranch with somebody yeah. and I was just like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, well, I think the the thing. Well, so obviously, when I when I used to do this podcast, when I started doing this, it was more about the stuff that the person who I was talking to was doing, and then obviously over time, yeah. not that that's not that that's a problem, but like over time, that that in itself became. Uh, there's only so many times you can ask the same questions, essentially, but. Then when I was like reframing it as like, oh well, I'll just talk to someone about a record they like that became so much easier to, you know, keep moving forward with it because sometimes, oh, people, totally. sometimes people pick records that I've never heard before or like I know the artist. And you have to just listen to them? Yeah. You just got to listen to them and enjoy it? Like, can you say if you hate it or not? <laughs> I don't think necessarily there's been anything that I've like hated. I think I, I'm, I'm definitely, I think probably from in that like, I grew up in a relatively musical household. Like my mum played music and my mum and my dad oh, cool. both listened to music a lot. So I think, and then also I know that like, I definitely went through phases of listening to arguably bad music. Like I loved new metal for a long period of my life. And like, I'm aware that, you know, there's still things about new metal that I like, but I'm aware that, you know, I guess from a technical standpoint, a lot of it is not very good. <laughs> like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you I, can definitely pick it. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm more than happy to talk to someone about, you know, anything really. But I think the, the only times where stuff is like jarred me maybe is when I've like had a preconceived notion about a band that I've thought like, like, for example, I did a Green Day record. And like coming yeah. coming from new metal and metal in school and death metal and stuff, to me, Green Day is like, oh, it's American Idiot or it's, you know, the five songs that two guys kept playing every day on guitar in high school. You know, like <laughs> that's what Green Day is. And like then I did this record and I was like, oh, they have other songs and they're good at writing songs that, you know, they wouldn't be yeah. as big as they are if they weren't good at writing songs. <laughs> like... It's good. Yeah, exactly. It that's that's what's been positive about doing this. You know, it's good to it sort of teaches you something as well. You know, totally. Yeah, you got to have an open mind. You know, I remember when I just just like would exclusively listen to metal. Mm. And it's yeah. just like I I can't do that anymore. I have to listen to everything. Yeah, well, and I think probably as well. What like when you start? Um, I mean, it's probably much more acute for you, be, being that you do recording and stuff like that. So like being that you're like so much specifically involved with music, you need to start learning and appreciating more stuff. But I think just simply as like, for me at least, like just growing up, when you start interacting with people outside of the subculture that you're a part of, like you have to start absorbing the other, you know, content and art that's out there, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. You have to, otherwise you just, I don't know. I just see it as you could be dead tomorrow, you know? Why not just listen to absolutely everything you can and indulge in everything you can? Yeah, well, I think 
like even like this year, um, like that uh that BG's doco came out this year. That was like it's I don't if you haven't seen it, it's really good doco about a band and about like a big thing that I always knew about the BG's was like they such a the impact that they have had on like music as a whole is crazy and like how one of the things about that band is they were like part of essentially part of the invention of like sampling comes from bg's records and like how they coped with you know how they navigated recording and stuff like that and but that was something like i never would have thought in 2021 would i be like regularly listening to a bg's record but since i watched that doco i'm just like Man, I love listening to the Bee Gees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't... Yeah, I'm sort of like... I'm not very fond of the Bee Gees. Like, I've heard their hits and, like, recently, and I've been like, whoa, this is some really good shit because I just appreciate harmonies, melody, anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So, it was just... Uh, apparently, like, they... they The band, like, was formed in Australia, but yeah. they're from somewhere else. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They're, well, they're essentially from Redcliffe in, near Brisbane. That's, like, where they were from. And then... I think when they got like when they got kind of big, they moved overseas, you know. Yeah, yeah, and like like you said before, I'm like I'm all for watching a documentary on pretty much any band because mm. it's like it would it will help you understand it more and have an appreciation and listen to it. Like I could not really stand Pearl Jam, and I'm sort of only got a few albums that I do like. Mm. But watching that documentary, were like shit, like this band are the shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think as well, like you you get to a point where you gotta kind of start expanding that part of your understanding too. You know, like it's there's only so much metal you can consume. You know, <laughs> yeah, before it's too much. Yeah. Um. Well, so uh, obviously, before we started, we talked a little bit about your band. So obviously, you guys you guys got a new record coming out soon. Um, obviously the, yep. you know, the pandemic gets in, in the way of those things, but, um, how was, how was like the process of navigating that throughout the last 12 months? Awful, but also good at the same time. Yeah. How so? <laughs> I, I've found, um, well, I've, I've been a really anxious person for most of my life mm-hmm. and like being stuck indoors for, you know, 18 months or whatever, gets to you and I sort of slowly learned about myself and like, you know, we were creating this record in the process of all of that and now we're about to release it and I've come out of all of that a better person. So I like, I really thrived in the first lockdown after I sorted my mental shit out, you know? Yeah. And do you like, was the musical side of that affected by that? Oh, the musical side was the worst because it's pretty much like what we're doing right now. You know, I'd have a band member just on Zoom or whatever mm. and I'll be like, oh, you like this riff? I had to do it like a lot of it by myself and it is not motivating. Yeah. Like no matter like, you know, how much like, because it was all like written and planned and pre-produced and all that and we'd have to go in and out, like get our drummer in there. And then, like, nobody else could be in the studio, so we'd be on FaceTime. And then, like, once you got the track back, it's like, oh, that's not how I wanted it played. Yeah, and, yeah. like, oh, it was just so many things that are wrong with the process of doing it at home. But it was mainly because there couldn't ever really be other than one person in here. So, like, I'd never want to record like that again. But it's good to have the freedom to add what you want when you want. So Yeah. 
And was was that a big part of it then? Was there like a lot of embellishments put on top because of that ability to do so? Yeah, um, me and Craig, the bassist, it's the first album we've produced together. So Mm -hmm. it was like we had so much time to do all that sort of stuff. And um, then we got like I was really happy because we got uh, Anton Hagop, who like uh, won ARIA Engineer of the Year for Silverchair Diorama. Mm -hmm. And we like I managed to just like track this guy down without knowing. So it's sort of like just there was some Instagram video and it came up and some dad rock band had like, oh, we're working with this guy. I look him up. I was like, oh, man, this guy's done a bunch of my favorite records and he's not really known as a mixer. But like that, like made the album just like turbo as soon as he put his hands on it. It had so much like, you know, sentiment and weight to it that you can really hear on the record. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, obviously, as we said before, like, you know, the the impact of, um, you know, playing shows and things like that gets pretty hampered by, um, you know, by not being able to leave your house. But like, is there, like, are you guys, you know, trying to do as much as you can around that? Or or for you guys, it's just about getting the record out now? Um, yeah, like we're trying to do as much as we can, really any sort of video content, anything, mm-hmm. I'll just go live, which I don't usually like doing just to like, you know, talk to people mm. and yeah, just like, be- like, it's so hard to promote a record when you can't do anything about it other than like, you know, like we've been pretty lucky with radio play and stuff like that. But, um, it's like a lot of our band is about like playing live, you know, yeah. the energy's there. You, you can... And obviously a lot of people want to do that. Like, I mean, the the, the annoying part is we released an album called Mindless Joy like uh, like 18 months ago and that's when COVID just started and it's just like to go for round two, it's just like you just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's getting ridiculous. Well, and it's pretty demoralizing as well. But I mean, in in that like, I mean, you know, I don't know what everyone... You know, for, for me, like I'm in playing music to play it live and like I the performative aspect of doing it is like a huge reason to do it for me you know yeah and seeing like yeah, it's, a um, response to what you're you've written you know yeah totally well yeah that's the um yeah I don't know it's just it's crazy I don't, don't want to do it like this again but um I'm really happy with what we've achieved and what we've done so Ah, it's going to be sick. Yeah. We'll just uh, play to nobody. We'll play to the internet, I guess. Wait till everything's good and people realize that vaccinations aren't so bad. Yeah. Well, you know, we got to do our bit. I'm getting my second one the day after tomorrow. So then hopefully I will be able to contribute my part to the greater society after that point. Yeah. Nice, man. Love it. Um. All right. Well... Thank you very much for chatting with me about the record and and chatting about you know your band and things like that. It was it was an absolute pleasure. No worries, Aaron. Thanks for having me. I'm just gonna leave you with this. <laughs> this uh, I have not warmed up. Let's see if I can play the Cowboys from Hell song. <laughs>
<laughs> that is truly, truly the greatest outro that I've ever had on this podcast. And also, at the start, I said, I'm going to make a little video to put on the internet. And that's the little video. So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that, uh, I love that solo. And, uh, it's, it's fucking... It's fucking good to talk to you, man. Uh, I appreciate you having me on this and talking about riffs. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers.